You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Corridor Media Group's Diversity Straight Up podcast where you're going to learn more about what a Hispanic Chamber of Commerce does to help uh, overcome barriers for the Hispanic and Latino population. You're going to hear from one of the youngest, actually the youngest executive director ever to hold this position in the Quad Cities. And find out how you can make a significant economic and community development impact even as the only person running the organization. And stay tuned for her advice on the end on what holding space means. Diversity straight up. Keeping it real. For more than six decades, ACT has advanced its mission of helping people achieve education and workplace success. We exist to fight for fairness in education and create a world where everyone can discover and fulfill their potential. Education has power, a power that can change lives forever. It creates opportunities that lift up individuals and their families, and it sparks societal change that echoes through generations to come. From our grassroots, we have fought the good fight for equity in education, and we remain devoted to helping anyone who struggles to access that power. We are all in to create a world that values and encourages each individual's abilities and potential in a society that is fairer and more equitable. What's next for you? A new car? A new house? A vacation? At Alliant Energy, we're planning what's next for your energy by adding more renewable energy sources, embracing new technology, building stronger communities, and providing you with more options. We're not just powering homes and businesses. We're powering what's next for you. Learn more at AlliantEnergy.com slash powering what's next. The phrase people you can bank on, it kind of embodies our legacy. What I think that means is we care about our clients, we care about our community, and we care for each other. Having been in business for over 20 years and uh, explored all possibilities of financing and you know banking relationships, I have found that the people at Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust are people that you can really bank on. Welcome to another episode of the Corridor Media Group's Diversity Straight Up, sponsored by ACT, Alliant Energy, and Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust. I'm your host, Sadika Bakta, president of Nikea Diversity Consulting. And I'm Anthony Arrington, managing partner of Top Rank, and we're about to have a great, great show today. We're about to get under the hood and talk about some diversity, equity, and inclusion, and and we've got an amazing guest. Yes, we have Janessa Calderon. She is the executive director of the Greater Quad Cities Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and is the youngest Latina to lead the organization. A little bit about uh, Janessa. She graduated from St. Ambrose University College of Business from the Master of Organizational Leadership Program in 2019. She completed her undergrad degree in strategic communication, also from St. Ambrose University. And she is a first-generation college student and has been paving the way, entering new territories since. Her passion for working with the Latino community began right out of college. And now she strives to educate others on how beneficial diversity of race and thought can be for our economy. 
2021, she was awarded the Emerging Leader Award from the St. Ambrose University Patricia Van Birani College of Business. And earlier this year, she made the list of negocios now Latinos 40 under 40 for the Chicago metro area for the leadership skills. Wow, you can tell that she's a powerhouse, folks. And um, I'm a little bit of bias here, just to put it out there, full transparency. I born in India, but uh, my home that I also considered home was Quad Cities on the Illinois side yeah. of the river. And um, I myself is a first generation college student. So, Janessa, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on our show on Diversity Straight Up. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you again so much for inviting me. Glad to be here. Well, before we get started, uh, something's been on my mind. We are in the middle, at least for me, um, born in Gujarat, India. Right now, we're in the middle of our festivities, our holidays, and we have so many festivals that are occurring. I also practice the faith of Hinduism, and um, we've been in the middle of uh, different religious celebrations and holidays. We just wrapped up Navratri, and um, in, a bit, in a few weeks, we are going to be celebrating Diwali. And um, my son made a comment to me, my teenage son, who's age of 15, going on 16, made a comment to me a few days ago or last weekend. He said, why aren't we going to this event? He goes, you are whitewashing the culture for me. My mouth just opened up and just <laughs> dropped. I'm like, honey, you do know who I am and you know what I try to do, right? What it made me realize is that it is challenging here in America to really celebrate the festival and holidays to the fullest because people are working and they feel as if they have to balance between work and having to really take time off to celebrate. And you're trying to make things work either in the evenings or on the weekends. And so it made me really think about how, how are we modeling the way and modeling the behavior as parents. So if parents are going to work, and they're not taking the time off, how can we encourage children as well to take time off? And I also have to balance it with uh, children who are going to high school, et cetera. Do they have exams, et cetera, going on during that time period? Right. Or can they take time off without feeling as if they're being penalized? Right. I have taken them out of school in the past for Diwali, and then I would get slammed by my son saying, you impacted my perfect attendance. <laughs> so I'm doing the best that I can. I know that if I was living in India, they would take the time off and they would really just focus on enjoying right. family time right. and community time yeah. and not be so focused on work. So this is a challenge that I'm experiencing and I'm seeing. And I know that we're not unique in the sense that there are other cultures and other communities that are probably feeling it as well because the holidays are not usually jam-packed during the end of the fiscal year or the end of the calendar year. Yeah, for us. Yeah. So that's what's been on my mind is how do I really, you know, Truly in the moment, enjoy and celebrate the culture so that, you know, others, especially, you know, um, family members are feeling as if they are part of the festival yeah. and the holiday. Well, thanks for sharing it. So it's like, if you think about it, how do, how, do we, how do we stop and smell the roses, right? How do we take time and really commit to it and really commit to allowing space for that? And I think we're all guilty of it. So you're right. I, I mean, I've, I've been in that space where I've wanted to, you know, I felt like a celebration should be massive. It should be more than, you know, I, I know I, I hear this in the, in the black community. We hear, you know, uh, Black History Month shouldn't be in February. It should be year round. And how do we find time for that? And what matters? And so I, I, it's, it's something to, 
to think about it. We have to figure out ways to, to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. I'm probably out on. I know in the U.S. we have the very individualistic personality as well because we're so focused on earning income, making an impact in our economy. And so I know in different cultures and different areas, sometimes it's more unity and more cultural in that sense. So I definitely agree that because we're so individualistic that we have the work brain mindset where it's just work, work, work. How do we make the rest of the life balance work out? And that's always challenging. Another thing I would say is probably commit to where those boundaries are for you personally and ensure that you are saying that you aren't fitting a mold that society has created for you because your work-life balance and your culture and the religion that you believe in is different than what the normal societal norm is. And so kind of making those boundaries and maybe explaining to the school, hey, this is religious stuff that we have going on, or this is where we are going to be celebrating a lot of our culture. And so what can your school do for me to help with that balance? And it's okay to kind of disrupt disrupt some of those norms as well and kind of change their mindset in that sense. Because if we don't start the change or bring up the conversation, in which case we're just going to be keep going on this roller coaster of a ride, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That key word, disrupt. Yes. I well, like that, disrupt. <laughs> You know what? And this is something that I've already been, you know, having conversations with school district. Yeah. But it's also us. At, and we can take time off mm -hmm. from work. We don't need to ask anybody. Yep. So it's the floating holidays, et cetera. Then I think that there's not, not there's no such thing as what is normal society, right? Because we are so different and vast uh, diversity when it comes to religion and when things are celebrated as well. And so being able to change right. the systems in terms of looking at floating holidays, I say plural, because beyond just one right. day, et cetera, isn't going to cut it either. But this is where the awareness and engaging in conversation to be able to ensure that collectively everybody is in there to celebrate it and they want to celebrate it as well i know in our school district right. we've done a lot of uh books around diwali done you know shared the culture etc and it's been very open and very welcoming in that aspect of it but i think it goes back to um in our own community what are we doing as parents yep. are we going to work or are we taking the time off yep. now that is the other thing so it's not yeah. just the systems it's also us as people like what is your priority and that's where you do yeah. put the you know, the boundaries, as you said, Jessica. Yeah. One so. of those root causes we say was that mission over leadership. You know, is it just about getting work done and getting the job done? Are we stopping to be good leaders in our family and good leaders in our organizations and good leaders in our community? So, uh, well, thank you all. Thanks, I know that yeah. we can talk a Thanks lot about that. in terms yeah. of, you know, being the holiday season festivals are yeah. galore right now and appreciate. Well, uh, we want to talk to Janessa, don't yes. we? We want to talk to Janessa. Yeah. So, what's on our so, guest mind? Yes. Janessa, so Janessa, tell us a little bit about your, your career path and, and what led you, you know, to become the youngest executive in the Quad Cities Hispanic Chamber. Kind of tell us a little bit about your background, how you landed in that spot. Yeah, so I was originally born in Iowa and came from, I was a first generation college student. So my grandfather was the one who actually came here from Mexico. And then my mother was here when she was around 10 years old. And so having them needing to assimilate back to American culture in the United States was very difficult for them. And so I found myself as a first generation college student, how I originally started my path on eventually getting to wanting to help the Latino community was growing up. I was always the interpreter helping, even though I was a small child, I was helping between the teacher understanding what's going on to explain to my parents what was happening 
And then I realized that was probably my first indication that there's kind of a cultural gap in our system sometimes as far as um, school districts go or, or sometimes when in relation to businesses and things like that. Um, so then I became, I went to school, had to figure my own path out, asked a lot of questions, and that in turn related a lot to my personality that I'm constantly an analyzer. I ask questions. I'm not shy. And that was because growing up, I really couldn't be shy, right? I had to be kind of a go-getter. And if I wanted to do something, I had to make it happen, ask the questions, find the right people. Um, so that kind of related back to my personality. And then when I got into school, I was doing three internships at a time, always had that go-getter wow. mindset. Mm -hmm. yeah. Always had that go-getter <laughs> mindset and thinking, how am I going to make my family proud? And how am I going to be a generational change for, you know, what, what has happened and, and how to make a bigger impact in our family? Um, so that was when I kind of ran into a local university, started doing Hispanic outreach with them because I could relate to the college students and their first time being on a journey. And then from there, found the Hispanic Chamber as I was in one of the cultural events in the Quad Cities. Kind of, they picked me up and kind of taught me the steps on how to help small businesses. And I still find myself now with that same mindset on how can I help this Latino small business understand the ins and outs of being a business owner or helping with different policies or how to create your own business, how to do marketing, how to get foot traffic. Um, so that kind of, you can see a, a relating theme mm -hmm. in how my personality developed and how I continue to do that work now. And I think especially what helped me increase that awareness on when I became executive director was some words of thought that I always keep in mind are, how can I make the biggest impact and how can I help someone? Or is what I'm doing today helping enough people? So that's how I always relate what I'm doing mm -hmm. to work to my own personal mission. Speaking of making an impact, uh, we know that our changing demographics around the country are drastically changing. And we know that uh, part of that is uh, increase in uh, immigrants. And we also know that immigrants are boosting the population as well as um, driving the economic uh, growth in uh, parts of the, the country. And we see that a lot here, especially in the Midwest. Um, they, and we know that um, immigrants also tend to launch uh, small businesses. When you think about the entrepreneurial spirit. I can uh, speak that because I know that my parents did that. I do that. But that also helps to create more job opportunities. So in your experience uh, working with the Hispanic uh, Chamber of Commerce, what are some of the biggest barriers that you have uh, seen um, Hispanic and Latino immigrants face as they're starting to really navigate um, uh, through their uh, business uh, strategic plans? Yeah, so I'd say two different things. The first one would be the language barrier. Uh, sometimes that could be dif difficult to try and translate things. And I know right now a lot of the organizations are working on translated material, but some of the things we're facing now are our employees able to be bilingual. And if not, how do we still get that service out to that immigrant entrepreneur who's starting their own business who may prefer Spanish rather than English? And how do we tackle that barrier? The other thing is I would say um, the Latino culture is very much developed in trust. And so trying to create the relationship and build those relationships and allowing them to trust those who want to help them um, 
I, an example I like to give is during COVID, a lot of these small businesses were actually scammed um, by a lot of scammers explaining, mm. oh, we have this grant money for you and your business. I just need A, B, and C data from you, mm. one of which was your social security number so I can connect yes, it to you and your business, which is very unfortunate. Um, and so trying to, that also didn't help with the natural trust that the Latino mm. culture generally has, and then trying to connect them with who is the go-to contact and who is a straight name that I can give you rather than a 1-800 number. Mm -hmm. So those are two of the barriers, the language barrier and then the connection with trust. So what do you do with the language barrier? You already identified a solution when it comes to trust. If something happens, they can go to someone that they trust, like they can go to the, the chamber of commerce that they have because that's a trust right there. So what about the language barrier? No longer is ESL something where English is a second language. They call it ELL, which is really English language learners, because sometimes people are learning multiple languages. Mm -hmm. We also know that... Uh, you know, Spanish is the second most spoken language in the U.S. So how do you overcome that language barrier now, knowing that there's so many other languages that we're looking at as well? But if we can't overcome just the second language that's most spoken after English, what are some solutions that you've been able to help deliver on that front? Yeah, definitely we have a community network of which organization has a bilingual person that you can connect with. And how do I get in contact with them? So that way we can kind of hand off that person who does only speak Spanish to them. So there is a, a tight knit community mm -hmm. here in the Quad Cities as far as um, Spanish speaking goes. But then the other part, so that would be the micro level helping one on one. The macro level that the Hispanic Chamber has taken on is being a community pillar for some of these topics. So I would, you know, consider this in the DEI realm. So explaining to these businesses hey, the 2020 census shows that the Latino population is on the rise and is only going to continue to do so in the next 10 years. Is your organization mirroring the community that is going to be coming up and is currently already here? And if not, how do we begin to make it that change so we can create a bigger impact? Mm -hmm. So um, being the community pillar in that sense at the macro level is kind of opening these organizations' eyes to the problems that they currently have and maybe they're aware of but not sure how to solve or to help them understand that this is a scenario that is going to be an issue for you down the road. So how do we get ahead of this to change it since we do know it's not going to be a quick fix, but maybe it has to be a longer term solution. So how do we start breaking down those steps to have your organization change and look different in the long term? That's great. So, and I want to, I want to, I want to piggyback on something you, you've said a couple of times and as you've answered a couple of questions and that was relationship building. You mentioned mm -hmm. relationship, and I want to, I want to talk about your your role as a leader in relationship building, because um, you have an important role as an executive director of of a, the Hispanic Chamber. But when you think about where you are in Iowa, in the Quad Cities, you're a young female leader, Latino leader, advocating for DEI, and you got to walk into these spaces, often with with white male leaders who are saying, who's this? Who's this young person? How, how do you gain that respect in order to navigate and leverage the, the, the chamber to get the resources you need from folks who, ha who have that power and that leverage? Yeah, I definitely say that was a challenge I faced um, in the very beginning of my career, especially the, the age, mm -hmm. the diversity of age mm -hmm. tended to be a huge issue. Yeah. Um, and the way that I kind of dealt with it was 
I met the person where they were at at first, as far as their understanding of the DEI topics and being a community leader and what we have to offer. Uh, if they were more into data, data analytics, then I would bring that to the conversation. I would make sure I was prepared to be at the same level as that with where they were at. Afterwards, I kind of met that trust with them, in which case I could then then be myself. I still think that's an issue that we face today is a lot of the age opportunities. We say that we want um, the younger generation to come and take over, but at the same time, there seems to be a lack of trust as far as are they competent enough mm -hmm. to be in this space, um, which is a big issue. And we're, we aren't giving a lot of trust and trying to build those relationships. Right. Um, so what I did is I relied to a lot of community mentors and built those relationships with them. And a lot of the time, it's just depending on will this person give me the chance and the opportunity? In which case, if they've already set a lot of the community uh, forward, then you can kind of build trust with them and they in turn can help you bring your name out more into the community too. Right. So for you leaders out there, if you're, if you're listening, you young leaders of meeting people where they're at, coming with data if they want to see data, coming with conversation if they want conversation, but, but being tenacious is what it sounds like you do. And it, it's a strength-based approach at the end of yes. the day, Janessa, right? Because you know what their strengths are, and you're able to connect based on that. Then it allows them to give you a chance. And only once you get that chance can you show up day in and day out as a leader to show that, yes, I have the competencies and the qualifications um, in, in spite of what uh, there may be perception about age or any other multi-dimensions of who you are. And I think that's the important thing is how do you get the, the access, the chance? And I'm sure when you're thinking about even the Hispanic Latino-owned businesses, let's talk about um, supplier diversity. When you're looking at how can companies, organizations give chances to, in this case, Hispanic Latino-owned small businesses, all it takes is one chance to see that, yes, they can, you know, perform and deliver on the product, service, and solutions that they're looking at. So how do you, um, how do you set up uh, the businesses that are part of your membership, and how do you set them up for success with um, those that are part of your members that are looking to want to support small um, Hispanic Latino-owned businesses? Yeah, it definitely has a lot in relation to networking. So, and I'm constantly thinking about my members and what they have to offer. So when I see an opportunity, um, for example, a local university was going to do headshots and they had mentioned, oh, we would need someone to do hair potentially there that day, in which case we have a small Latino, Latina owned business that does specific hair. And I said, hey, if you are looking for a business, here's this one-stop shop. She's just started. She can meet mm -hmm. you where you're at, especially at your location. And that way you are helping promote a Latina owned business and helping get that service that you need. So it's a lot of networking, getting to know my members, knowing what their needs are, hearing if they need any education on specific business topics and hearing what they have to offer, and then going out to the community and networking with some of these big corporations and seeing where can I fill that void um, with the Latina or Latino-owned businesses. You know, being a small um, business owner myself, I know that uh, being part of Chambers is always um, a good opportunity. How do your members decide to go with a Hispanic uh, chamber uh, versus maybe other chambers or traditional chambers. There's so many that are out there now. 
And when you think about from an investment perspective, do you all play well together as chambers, even if you are focused on certain population groups? Yep. So I would say for the Hispanic chamber, we've been focused more on the DEI effort since 2008. We've continued to be a community pillar. Um, we kind of come from the perspective that we have been able to challenge some mindsets to change the community and we are totally okay with doing so because if you aren't a little uncomfortable then you aren't truly changing and so bringing that opens up a whole different mindset to where it provides the opportunity for these latino owned businesses to have and to have space there so those are one of the ways and i would say that at least for my chamber we do play well with other chambers i know mm -hmm. we have met with different ones in the area. We partner together. We never say it's them or us because we offer two different sets of things. Um, so ours is specifically, we focus more on the small businesses because we have a smaller membership. And so we get to know our members one-on-one. -on -one. If you need something more on the bigger umbrella on a bigger scale where we need more um, employees, in which case we do refer you to other chambers who might fit that need for you. You can definitely be members of both. Right. So it kind of depends on your business and what your business needs are and getting to know your local chamber, whether that's the Hispanic one or any other local chamber that you have and seeing if, is this a good fit for me and my business? Do I have a full understanding of the resources that they offer? Mm -hmm. Jennifer, let's talk about you a little bit. I want to, I want to know a little bit more about you as a, as a leader, what keeps you up at night in, in your role? What, what, when you, I call them brush your teeth moments, when you're in those moments by yourself, what, what, what keeps you moving? What keeps you up? I would say this is something that a lot of leaders probably question themselves on is, am I doing enough? Mm -hmm. Am I helping enough people? Yeah. I have, I am so lucky to have placed myself in a leadership role in the community and that the community has trusted me to be in that space and to hold that position. And I question myself, am I there for them enough? Am I providing enough opportunities? Am I in the space where I need to be? And is my voice loud enough? Is it strong enough? Am I uplifting and empowering the people who have trusted me to be in that seat for them? to have a seat at the table for them and to create space for in these spaces where they may not already be. So I definitely say that's something that I feel a lot of leaders can connect to and think, relate back to, is this enough? And if not, what do I need to do to change it so I can help others? Good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. It's kind of piggybacking on that a little bit. What are some of the biggest misconceptions people may have about doing business with a Hispanic or Latino owned business or selling to the Hispanic Latino population? Can you share any incident stories? Yeah, so I wouldn't say there's a lot of challenges, but more it's the connection of, I want, sometimes we have bigger businesses who come to us and say, hey, we have this space for vendors, but we haven't built the trust with them. Um, as far as being, can I go to their space, tell them about this vendor event? Because again, there is that trust in that culture. And so getting to know is, is this event an actual event? Is there going to be people there? Um, can I sell things there? What does that look like? So I would say the people that have came to us and wanting to promote more of the Hispanic owned businesses are needing more of that community connector. And so that's when we kind of step in and say, hey, this is a small business owner. I'll let them know about the event that you're having. 
and then we can help connect you in that sense. And afterwards, they then meet there, and then there's a partnership and relationship building opportunity from that point forward. I feel like, do you feel like that's a lot of a burden on you as an individual? I know that you have a strong board, leadership board, but if you're thinking about uh, what I think, um, if I looked on your website, you're a staff of one, Janessa. Mm-hmm. I heard you multiple times throughout this uh, conversation, building trust and being the connector. Do you feel that's a lot on you as an individual to be that connector resource? And I know others probably are also helping in that endeavor. Yeah, I don't feel that way only because I have connected with my board and have created a sense of us. And so our Hispanic Chamber board member and our culture that we've created internally is so strong that I know that I can reach out to board members when I have specific needs and they themselves feel they are also part of the Hispanic Chamber. So they're also reaching out to these businesses. They're also at the events. They're helping connect people. And that's a lot of times something that some small businesses or nonprofits miss is helping them feel that they are also a part of it and they are also helping with the mission and seeing it through. And so with that, that also goes with different terms of leadership. So I'm a community leader, but then at the same time, my board of directors still has considered me as their own personal leader too, and how we can help enhance the culture and diversity that we have in the community. So I've, I've helped them feel comfortable and confident that they can also relate back to the Hispanic Chamber and say, hey, this is who we are and this is how we help. So it's, it's really empowering to see that as a group collectively, we believe in what we do. So I don't say I would have so much of a burden <laughs> because my board members are way above and beyond in volunteering and, and more than what a board member is. Sure. That's great. Well, you have sure. a board that rolls up the sleeves and yeah. loves to be able to drive impact with yeah. you. One last question, then we'll, we'll switch segments here. But uh, piggybacking on what Sarika said about being at Staff of One, you've got a strong board, but um, we know this work becomes exhausting at times. It's very exhausting personally and professionally. What do you do for self-care? I always go back to my family. (laughs) At the end of the day, I always remember I'm Janessa. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm an aunt. And so I just relate back to family and connect again with my roots and go back to my grandma and, you know, kind of just connect there that way and and reach out to my family. Reminds me of that song, I'm Jenny from the Block. (laughs) <laughs> just just yeah. Janessa from the block, right? Yeah. I, was just yeah. thinking, I was just thinking La Familia. And as soon yeah. as you said your grandma, right. I thought about food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, Family exactly. and food. Especially during the holidays. All right. <laughs> well, I know that uh, we can talk to you for hours, Janessa. But let's move on to the next segment, which is uh, what's on our listeners' mind. So listeners, continue to submit your questions, comments, and feedback to info at diversitystraightup.com. And uh, this is where we have questions um, from a listener, and we have one submitted by Michelle here. Uh, Anthony, would you like to read the listener question? Sure, sure. Michelle says, uh, I work for the Department of Housing in my city. I was in a staff meeting the other day and we were discussing housing assistance when one of my coworkers said aloud, whenever we are dealing with the Indians, our process takes too long and it's so frustrating. I felt that this was a racist comment, but I did not feel comfortable calling the employee out. I can't stop thinking about this and I need to say, I need to say something about it. 
Any suggestions for how I should handle this situation? That's from Michelle. Janessa, I'm glad I'm not answering. Yeah, I would tell Michelle, in the way that you phrase it, it, it's definitely important to bring it to attention, especially if you felt uncomfortable. And maybe that person was unaware of um, some, some of the bias that they might have, if they do, or any microaggressions that might have happened. And to relate it in a professional manner would be to bring it up in a sense where it is you and them versus the problem. So that way no one gets defensive in the sense that you said this wrong and this is how it felt, in which case I don't believe I did say it wrong. It turns it back to you and them versus the situation, or you can explain it in a way as I know you didn't mean that in that way, but let's attack it because in the future it could be an issue. As your coworker, I want to ensure that you never have that happen. Not putting them in that position, being coming to them from a uh, a a position of understanding. You know, I know we talk a lot about intent versus impact. You know, and and letting them know that that wasn't maybe that wasn't your intent, but we wanted you. I wanted you to know how this impacted me, and wanted to set the record straight, and so that this doesn't happen in the future. Maybe I'm helping you for the next conversation you have in another room, in another meeting. Yeah, assuming positive intent and addressing the behavior versus that personal attack. Always a great combination of being approached. Thank you so much, Janessa, for helping to um, address uh, Michelle's uh, workplace uh, dilemma that she has. Again, folks, continue to submit your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. All right. Now we're on to our next segment, Janessa, and this is our fun segment of the show. We'll have a little surprise for you here. We're going to grab here what we call, you can't see it, but it, or maybe you can. It's called the diversity thumb ball. Yes, you can see that there. To our listeners here, this is a ball that's shaped like a soccer ball. And on each of the... Soft the, soccer uh, it's ball. It's a soft soccer ball, yeah, so we don't <laughs> smash each other in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> or, or liability for Logan and all the production right, equipment there, right, yes. Right, right, so right. Anthony can't On each can of the you? spots of this ball, I know, I, I'm, I'm horrible. We, uh, there are questions related to diversity. They're icebreaker questions. And so what we typically do, if you were here, we would throw this ball to you, Janessa, and you would catch it. And wherever your left thumb lands, <laughs> Sarah gets mad at me when I say thumbs because then you get to choose from two answers. <laughs> so we're, for this game, we're going to say left thumb. We're going to make it specific. <laughs> wherever your left thumb lands, uh, you just ask that question and answer it authentically. So since you're not here, I'm going to throw it up for you. I'll throw it to Sarah and she can catch it for you. All right? All right, here we go, audience. I'm throwing the ball. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Janessa, this is your question. A time you shared an unpopular idea. An unpopular idea? Correct. Mm-hmm. Let's see. A time I shared an unpopular idea. I feel like it's very general, but it, it, it works in this space. Sometimes a lot of people are incredibly closed-minded with diversity, equity, and inclusion. So us being the pillar in the community and creating those challenges, that was an unpopular idea. And why is there a need for the Hispanic chamber? Why does there not need to be, why can't there just be a general chamber? And trying to explain that we are uplifting and empowering other racial minorities and ethnicities 
and trying to promote better overall culture and, and the economy to make a bigger impact. So that's probably an unpopular opinion. And that's something that I face almost weekly sometimes. It mm -hmm. kind of depends on the person and the mindset is just who we are in general, depending on the person, can be an unpopular idea. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing yeah, because for sure. I know that that was something that I was on my mind too. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's not as if the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce is at the expense of the other chambers right. are just trying to help uplift uh, a community that there is a particular need for. Right. So thank you for sharing that, Janessa. Awesome. See, I know I picked the right question for you here. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm going to throw it at Anthony here. All right. <laughs> left, remember? Left thumb. Left thumb. Oh, I wish it was. Let me see my right one just in case. <laughs> so. <laughs> so how do you respond to jokes that are demeaning or derogatory? You know, that's that's actually a good question for me because um, I, I've been thinking about myself. Like I've been, you know, for fully transparent, I've been a person that's told derogatory jokes and, and told those jo and told jokes that are inappropriate before. And it's interesting because as I hear them now, even even little sayings um, that I used to say before that I that I hear now, I try to catch myself. And when I'm around other people. I've been getting better about either A, confronting it like, man, that's not cool. You know, and it really depends who I'm talking to and, and the situation and try to contextualize it versus if I'm, if I'm talking to my, my wife or my mother, I might just let them know a little more sternly. But if I'm in a public setting, I might just, I won't laugh at the joke, you know, and I might say something at that moment or I might pull that person aside or I'll be like, or, you know, if I'm around a group of friends, that's, that's not cool, man, or something like that. So I'm trying to be more conscious of that. And it's, it's real interesting because I know that, you know, I used to let just a lot of little things, little, they weren't jokes even. They're just kind of demeaning comments or maybe they were old folk, folk tale sayings, right? Like, for example, you know, I remember I used, to, I used to be a person that would say, geez, they slaved me to death today at work. Really? Where did I learn that from? And why was I saying that? That's, that's demeaning to me, but that was a normal part of my conversation. So I've gotten really, really conscious of those things. So, yeah. All right. You ready? Yes. When did you first learn about bias or hate in the world? On the school ground. Being born in India and coming to America, even way before technology was even a thing, I remember I looked different in the sense that I dressed different. Mm -hmm. uh, we come very, from a very low socioeconomic uh background at least when we were when you know in america we were and so i knew that i did not always have the fancy clothes or brand labels or anything a lot of times there were hand-me-downs and not only did it happen when i was little like in second actually in kindergarten i remember that and i was probably the only indian student in that mm -hmm. school in oklahoma as well but i remember it happened even when i was in the quad cities and um as a teenager mm -hmm. and I would have friends that said, Oh, well that group doesn't want to hang out with you because of the clothes you're wearing. You can't hang with them. Just tough. It's a lot of biases there. Yeah. And yeah. Just you tough. always felt like an outsider. Mm -hmm. yes. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Well, thanks for playing the game, Janessa. I hope you had fun. That's, that was our yeah, little surprise for you. you. Yeah.
And you're lucky you didn't have Anthony there to throw it at you. <laughs> if you were in the studio, I might have threw it kind of hard at you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today and sharing with us more about the Quad Cities Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and uh, the work that you do and um, helping uh, the Hispanic and uh, Latino population, but as well as the overall general population and businesses in the community to thrive collectively. Is there any advice that you have as we wrap up here? Is there any advice you have for our listeners that would help enhance their equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement journey? Uh, anything you'd like to share that we haven't talked about that would be helpful to our listeners? Yeah, I know something you said earlier when you were talking about inappropriate jokes or something that could be harmful. As some advice I would say is, one, don't respond, kind of like what mm-hmm. you mentioned, but then two, silence and sitting in that holding environment is so important. So kind of once that joke is made and it's not funny, sit in the silence because being uncomfortable will make that other person realize that wasn't okay and make them question themselves without you needing to say anything. And so it's always okay to create that holding space where people feel um, a little uncomfortable, not so much where it becomes a big issue. So it's always a, it's a holding environment where you need to constantly navigate it, mm-hmm. but just enough where I'm uncomfortable, something needs to change and I need to relate back to what is it that I just said that changed the dynamics of this yep. conversation. Yep. Body language can play a role in that as well. Thank you for that suggestion. That's a great idea. It's a great suggestion. Awesome. Holding environment. Yes. Thank you so much, Janessa, for your um, suggestion and advice to um, individuals trying to um, advance their DEIE journey. And a shout out again to our sponsors, ACT, Alliant Energy, and Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust. The show is produced by LAS Media Group. A special thanks to our listeners, as without you, we wouldn't be here. So please continue to help us grow subscriber base by sharing our show with others, liking, commenting, etc. Love this episode of Diversity Straight Up? Then head over to the most popular podcast and audio platforms to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. And as we say on our show, Diversity Straight Up. Keeping it real.